Well, today I'm going to begin a short series on the word becoming flesh. That's my title for the series, The Word Became Flesh. And we're going to have this uh, message in, in three parts, really, over the next few Sundays. Today I'm going to speak about the one who came. It's right to focus on him to begin there. Then the next message will be looking at whether it's all true, nice stories, but is it true? What is the truth of his coming? And then the final message will be looking at the coming itself. So the word became flesh. The one who came. Focusing on him. Who is he? What do we know about him? This is where it all begins. Recognizing Jesus. And my take-home message is Jesus is the reason, not just for this season, but for every season. Jesus is the reason for every season. And I've prepared some notes, which we emailed out to you on Friday. That's if you're a cell leader. And if you haven't yet downloaded or printed it off, we've got copies after the service. And that, those notes are concentrating on how to take this message into your own heart and your own life. How can you enter into the reality of Jesus for your life in every, in every area? So we're turning to John's Gospel, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first uh, 14 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Then verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only one from the Father. Some versions say only Son, only begotten, the only one, the unique Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, as we build up in this Advent uh, uh, season, build up as we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world, it is absolutely right that we discipline ourselves to, di- to 
direct our attention to Jesus, to gaze on him and fix our attention and try to exclude the kind of distractions that so often come when we're busy with many of the preparations, as wonderful as they are, can be distracting. So we are focusing on the one who came, the one who is the center of it all, the one who is the reason for the season, and not just the reason for this season, but the reason for every season, every moment of every day of our lives. We are focusing on the one who is worthy to be worshipped and adored, the one who is the Alpha Omega, the source of everything that we see, everything it is, the one who came. So John's Gospel begins with this, in the beginning was the Word. Now immediately our mind goes to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So John is deliberately recapitulating that first verse of the Bible and and giving it a greater understanding of how the Word of God operated at the very beginning of time. So this morning, we're not talking about anything, so far anyway, that's happening in the world. We're talking about something that took place before the world began. That's a very difficult concept. Because if the world began at a certain point, then then before that, there was no time, no space, no matter, nothing. But God, very difficult to imagine. So I prepared a little DVD for you to help you with that. Watch this now. In the beginning. There was nothing. No matter, no space, no time, nothing. But the word already existed. The immaterial, spaceless, timeless, personal, intelligent, all-powerful, creator of all things, lover of my soul, master of my destiny. It's as simple as that. What you saw at the beginning of the DVD was a map of the universe, a scientifically, experimentally projected map of the universe. And what you are seeing there is the radiation, the background radiation that scientists say are the reflection, the leftover from the Big Bang. That's the background radiation at the very edges of the universe, and that was mapped by the Planck uh, satellite on the the European Space Agency's mission. So that is a real representation. So we shrunk that back as if to say, go back in time, Back, 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 back to the very beginning and there is just a point at which it all began and you look closely enough, that point disappears. That's how the Bible starts. In the beginning. At that point, there is no matter, no space, no time, nothing. That's as far as science goes. And then science will say, well, okay, how did the universe come into being? And it's totally, intuitively obvious that nothing comes from nothing. A friend of mine was being interviewed on the radio, and they said, well, this is a very difficult concept that you're putting forward, Reverend. 
that God would make something out of nothing. And he said, granted, a very difficult concept, but not half as difficult that nothing, to say nothing brought something from nothing. So there is an explanation. There is a way of looking at this. And, and when we start to think like that as Christians, we realize that we're not teaching nothing comes from something or, or uh, nothing produced something. What we're saying is that before the universe was created, before there was anything else at all, God already existed. And so we can answer the question, where does the universe come from? It had a beginning. That is the consensus of science today. It's called the Big Bang Theory, that 13.7 billion years ago there was this Big Bang and, and the universe came into being. That in itself was a highly controversial scientific conclusion. Because up until that point, a few decades ago, the major consensus in science was that the universe always existed and never had a beginning. But such things as the background radiation I've been talking about and other things as well led scientists to the fair, firm conclusion amongst them the universe had a beginning. But then they have to explain where did the universe come from? And that is getting people all confused. One of the most famous scientists in the world today is Stephen Hawking, and this is his statement. Because the law of gravity exists, the universe can and will create itself out of nothing. When you examine that thesis, apart from it being illogical, you realize they're not really talking about starting from nothing. And anyway, nothing can come from nothing, so what do we, what do, what do we make of it? It's not a very good explanation. Others say, well, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, there's not just one universe. There are millions of them, infinite number of universes, and that's how it all began. Mm, strange. Others say, no, one or two scientists still hold out to the old view, say, no, no, no. What happened was, before this universe, there was another one, uh, and then another one, and another one, and, and this universe expands and contracts and this kind of thing. So they're, they're struggling. And good luck to them. I mean, I, I really mean this sincerely. It is very good to, to go to what you consider to be the limits of science, limits of physics, and go beyond and push the boundaries of human knowledge. And nothing of that is in any way a threat to the existence of God because God created all things, including the scientists and their brains and the very logic that they seek to use and the laws of the universe that they seek to discover. So it's not going to threaten us as believers, but it helps us to think. What was it like before the creation of the world? Another big question which uh, science will never be able to answer is why is there something at all? <laughs> why does the universe even exist? And so, in a way, science and faith can overlap in a, in a positive way. But when we look back, as we tried to do in this short DVD, to, to the beginning of the universe, to that little point that disappears and there is nothing, the Bible speaks into that very scenario and says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word already existed, which means that the Word must be eternal. If it was there before the world began, before time and space came into being, we're talking about an eternal being, an eternal 
immaterial being. In other words, not a physical, a non-physical, which we would use the word spiritual. A spiritual being, as Jesus says, God is spirit. Spaceless. Intelligent, must be extraordinarily intelligent. The complications... When people try to analyze what our universe is like, they just see over and over again there is a, a huge amount of intelligence implied. I mean, you know, you look at the most intelligent people you can find and you say, well, where do they get their intelligence from? Well, their mum and their dad, and their mum and their dad, and their mum and their dad. You go back to the beginning, but you go further than not even you were a dot. God's intelligence is at work. We know that this word is also personal. In other words, not just a force. We as Christians believe in God. We do not believe that God is just like a force of, or energy, like electricity or something like that. You know, we, we, we don't go around saying, may the force be with you. We believe God is personal. He has a mind that can think. He has a will and can choose. And in fact, he chose to create the universe. That means he can think and choose. He's personal. And, and implied in that, he is purposeful. When we look at the universe, we find purpose everywhere. We find the, 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 the evidence of design. Things aren't just meaningless. Everything is headed towards a purpose. Everything has a meaning. There is a purpose behind it all. And that's just through simple observation, apart from philosophical re reflection. Purposeful, all-powerful. Now, what they call the Big Bang, it was not actually a bang, and there's nobody around apart from God to hear it, so it wasn't really a bang, but the point is, is that there's something about it that we, we can understand, and that it was very, 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 very powerful. Think of our own sun, 93 million or so miles away from us, so powerful, so amazing, and, and, and when they look at that sun, it's part of a galaxy, which is part of other galaxies. In fact, scientists tell us that there are, are as many galaxies out there with 100 billion stars in each of them, more, as many galaxies as there are sands upon the shores of every beach in the whole world. Now, here in England, it's not that hard because it's not, not only beachy sands, but go to where I've been to Brazil, looking out of the window at it, not going and enjoying it, working too hard for that. But, or Australia, when I, where I was brought up. All the sands, grains of sand on the, on, on the seashores of all the world. That's a, that is what scientists tell us, the number of galaxies out there. Now, I don't understand that, but I understand one thing. That is powerful. Not just powerful, powerful. Amen. He is the powerful, all-powerful, creator of all things. And then when we look into the Bible revelation and study the life of Jesus, the one who came, we discover something else. That one is the lover of my soul. He is the master of my destiny. We don't have that Invictus stuff here. Captain of my soul, oh, my own soul, master of my own destiny. No, no, no. We come to the place where we recognize that there is one higher than us, and he loves us and cares for us, and he is the one that is inviting us into a relationship in which we say, my Lord and my God. So let's have a look at the one who came into the world. Here he's called the word, which is the word logos. So the first thing we discover when we look at this is that the Logos, the word, is real and rational. Not just an idea, 
but an actual reality. He is real. He actually existed. Before the world was created, the word already existed. And he is rational. The word logos is where we get the word logical from. Many people say, oh, you Christians, you're irrational, you have an illogical faith. You just believe impossible things just, just to prove that you're religious. No, Christianity is not an irrational faith. Christianity is a rational faith because God is the ground of all reason and all rationality. Because God is mind and has rational mind, everything in this universe that can be analyzed rationally, that has logical order, mathematics, basic philosophical, logical insights, and even the ability to investigate the physical world and to come up with descriptions of how the world works, we call them the laws of nature, those are based on the prior assumption that everything is logical and rational. Many people still accuse us of being irrational, but the Christian faith is reasonable. They, they say you have a fairy tale faith. What's one of the four horsemen of new atheism, in brackets, atheistic ap apocalypse? One of them, Professor Dennett, watched him describe how he celebrates Christmas. And I think this is going to be very interesting. How does an atheist, I mean, you know, a radical atheist, I mean, a, a vocal atheist, one of these new atheists, woo, atheists, how do they do it? Oh, we love it. I said, you love it? I wasn't talking to him, I was talking to the TV, but you love it? Yeah, I love it, I love it, it's amazing. Oh, wonderful stories, wonderful stories. We sing all the carols, and wonderful stories, like a children's storybook, it's amazing. I don't have to believe a word of it, but they're nice stories. Is that what we believe? I will say more about this next week, but is that what we really believe? Do we have a kind of Alice in Wonderworld kind of faith? Lewis Carroll uh, wrote two books, Alice in Wonderland, and Alice through the looking glass, in which he imagined a very weird and wonderful, if not totally absurd, world. And we read it and enjoy the story, perhaps, but we don't take it seriously as if it's real or true. Is that how we read the Bible? Is that, is that what our faith is all about? Does it really matter if it's just a fancy story or not? Well, one of the characters in the second book, Alice through the looking glass, was a, a kind of weird, kind of bizarre, but somehow likable queen called the White Queen. And she's an extraordinary character. And this is what she says in the book. Oh, I am just 101. Five months and a day. I can't believe that, said Alice. Can't you? The queen said in a pitying tone. Try again. Draw a deep breath and close your eyes. Alice laughed. There's no use trying. One can't believe impossible things. I dare say you haven't had much practice, said the Queen. When I was your age, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I've believed as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Now, possibility thinking is quite interesting. Walt Disney said, impossibility is only the figment of an insufficient imagination. Now that statement appeals to me. 
as, a, as an artist, a creative person, that's my background. As you can see, I'm now not at all like that because you can take the man off the stage, but you can't take the stage out of the man, but here we go. Even scientists have to imagine, think out of the box. Albert Einstein said, only those who attempt the absurd can achieve the impossible. But when they're talking about absurd and impossible, they're talking about thinking out of the box to come to a, an understanding of a reality that actually exists. They're not talking about something that's totally absurd. For example, a square circle. God, not even God can make a square circle because it's absurd. God is not into, in the business of, a, of absurdity. Neither could we conceive of a, of a triangle with only two sides. No, no, no. So believing six impossible things before breakfast could be very good training for creative innovation. And imagination is good for possibility thinking, but it is of no value at all when it comes to impossible things. We need evidence. And Christianity provides that evidence in a very, very real way. We have a reasonable faith because the universe was created and created by a rational being, then reason and rationality is God's gift to us all. You know, one of the things I'd like to get is to get your brains converted, really get your brains active. How interesting. So many people have very intelligent jobs and exercise a lot of intelligence outside. When they come to Christian meetings, oh, don't worry about it. Leave your brains out. It's nothing to do with that. It, you've got to learn to love God with your minds. Develop your minds. Train your brains. Uh, I can't wait to get the thought and philosophy giant off the ground. And in that, we'll include apologetics, how to give a reasonable defense of our faith. Because that's what they're asking out there. You're, I know because I'm out there, and that's what they're asking me. I've had to go back and say, why do I believe what I believe? What are the reasons? Do I just say, I hold my breath, close my eyes, and imagine something impossible? No, 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 no. There is evidence out there, and we have to learn how to answer people's questions. 1 Peter 3, verse 15 is the foundation text for what I'm saying today. It says that in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. Being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Can you see the three things there? First of all, you set apart Christ as Lord. You sanctify him in your heart. If Christ is not Lord of all of your heart, all of your life, your words are going to be undermined by your actions. But you are also to be prepared to give a reason. In other words, questions like this. Well, you know, if God created the universe, who created God? And they think, gotcha, there. Well, no, they haven't. Cause and effect was created by God. He's not subject to the laws of cause and effect. He created them. How about this one? You know, if God is the God of love, how, much is, how come there's so much evil? Well, God did not create evil. Even as an absence of good, just as darkness is an absence of light. God created the light. It's we who shrunk from the light which brought about evil. 
There wasn't God's response. How do you argue these things? Learn these things, but then do so when you share. And this is very important in our Speak Up campaign. Very important to do so, and even underline, not that I need her authority to say this, but underlined by the Prime Minister who said, do it with respons responsibly and with respect. But provided we do that, we shall have no reason not to engage. And there are people who help us. People who are far brighter than many of us here today. I think of Professor John Lennox, one of the sharpest cookies on the planet. He's a Christian, he's a, a scientist, he's a mathematician, a professor at Oxford University, extraordinarily intellect. And, and he read one of these new atheist comments saying, Oh, Christianity is a fairy tale invented for those who are scared of the dark. In other words, mummy, mummy, the bogeyman is coming. No, 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 never mind. Here's Jesus, darling. Here's Jesus. Well, good old John Lennox said that's not good enough for me. So he wrote his reply. It was published in the newspaper. Atheism is a fairy tale invented for those who are afraid of the light. <laughs> How true that is. So we find, first of all, that the word is real and rational. Not an invention. Real and rational. And because he's ultimate reality, we can depend on God knowing that we live in a universe that's being created by the God of the Bible. Do not back away from that. It's a secure foundation. Secondly, we notice from this that the word is personal and relational. Not everybody gets all excited about scientific formulae. I remember once when they first explained to me, and I was an adolescent, immature, rather empty-headed trainee ballet dancer, and they said, E equals MC squared. I said, well, whoopee, who cares? Not every one of us feels that we're so motivated by the neatness of mathematics. In later life, I've begun to appreciate that whole lot more. But we have to accept, of course, that he is real and rational, but he's also personal. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. He's personal. I mean, he, he is a person. He thinks, he feels, he wills, he chooses He's made us in his image. That's why we have personality as well. And the amazing thing about the personality that God has given to each one of us is that personality is unique to all of us. Is it to somebody who's an extraordinary character, tremendous personality? No, I don't believe in a personal God. I said, look at you. You're amazing. Don't tell me that <laughs> something less than personal made you. We're unique, personal. Personal. In the beginning was the word. He describes the word in terms of personality. The word created, therefore the word chose to create or chose to operate uh, as God's agent of creation. Not only personal but also relational. And this is in many ways one of the principal revelations of this verse. Let's go over it again. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That's a word of relationship. He was with God. Who are you with this morning? Maybe you don't want to answer that. It's, it's in company. It's, it's a word of companionship. Actually, the, the, the way this is described in, in, in the Greek, the preposition is used, 
can mean to accompany it side by side in company, but can also mean imply face to face. The word was towards God. There is, it's a directional, there's relationship. And this is the eternal relationship between the father and the son. You can't have an eternal father without an eternal son. You can't have an eternal son without an eternal father. God is both father and son. God the father, God the son. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of that relationship. Amazing. If you, if you go on with the picture of the word word, word is spoken by a speaker. So if, if the word is the word spoken, who's the speaker? Oh, well, God the Father. God the Father. But there is an intimate relationship between the two. And between three, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, a divine being, two persons here revealed in uh, John 1 verse 1, implying also the third person, which you read about in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, so Father, Son, and the Spirit of God is involved. He's hovering over the face of the waters. So we're talking about a God who is community. Ultimate reality is relational, not impersonal, relational. He's not in some cold, solitary oneness that allows for no relationship within his own being, let alone relationship with us. Oh yes, he is relational. This is warm. This is relational. And it makes it all the more awesome because, of the, because it is so. Which means that there is a possibility that we have been created by him for relationship with him which is what the Christmas story is all about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I mean, it's amazing. And this shows us that this God who is personal, relational, is also purposeful. He brought the universe into being for a purpose, with purpose, and he is working out his purpose to a conclusion which is guaranteed. That's our hope. However, when we read this, we discover something astonishing. At first sight, it looks astonishing, but when we look at it closely, we realize it's exactly as it should be. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but the world did not know him, did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. What is this telling us? It's telling us that God wants real relationship. Oh yes, the darkness will never put out the light. All God needs to do is make flick that final switch and the whole universe will be ablaze with his visible glory. But at that time, they'll be too late for relationship because it's game over. You know, even in human relationships, that the most genuine of human relationships are to do with two people choosing one another. God has already chosen you, and he's waiting for you to choose him, but he won't force you to choose him. That's why it's important to come to the place to receive him into your life. Because it goes on to say, but as many, who, as, as many, who, as, many as received him... To them who chose to welcome him, who opened their hearts to him, as many as received him, he gave them the power, the right, the privilege to become children of God. In other words, not just natural 
people born of natural parents, natural processes, but born spiritually in relationship with God from above. And those people, and only those people, will be called children of God. Say, well, that's not fair. Wait a bit, wait a bit. A moment ago, we were talking about your freedom to make a choice. C.S. Lewis said, at the end of the day, there will only be two kinds of people in the world. One kind of person, one kind of people who have said to God, thy will be done. And the other group of people to whom God says, sadly, but definitively, thy will be done. Meaning, you, can, you must make a choice and you're freedom to make a choice. Hell is not for people who choose not to go there. It is for people who choose to go there because they choose to keep God out of their lives. So if the darkness refuses the light, it remains darkness. How important is the Christmas story to get beyond the tinsel and the fables? We've got loads of fables, and we've got loads of fairy tales associated with Christmas, don't we, in different ways. But the facts of the case remain solid. So, you know, Dickens, the, the, the Christmas carol, the ghost of Christmas past, that's fiction. That's fiction. But the first Christmas is fact. So he is personal and relational. Finally, let me go through them again. He is real and rational, personal and relational. Finally, he is abundantly satisfying. That's amazing. Do you pick up that phrase when we read it? In him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. What does this mean? Life is in the very nature of God, eternally and profoundly satisfying. When people talk about having a good life, it means they're satisfied. How are things going? Well, it's satisfying. Satisfying. So life, the life of God, satisfies us in the deepest part of our being. So here is, here is the thing. Every real desire we have, every real need that we have corresponds to a reality. Let me give you an example. Somebody comes and stands here today and says, oh, I'm so thirsty, thirsty, I'm so thirsty, can I have a drink? Can anybody give me a glass of water? I'm thirsty. That thirst exists because there is water that can satisfy it. Can you imagine if we were to say, thirsty, what's that? I, I want some water. Water, what's that? Never heard of it. You know what? It, what I, no, I don't know what you're talking about. We know exactly what somebody's talking about when they say thirsty because that corresponds to water, which satisfies the thirst. Same with food. I'm hungry. I'm so hungry. Have something to eat. Eat? What is that? Food. Never heard of it. No, 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 no. Every real need, 
not every desire, but every real need corresponds to a reality. And what, if we take a hard look at it, we discover is that we human beings need God. That appetite, that desire, that longing for God correlates to a reality whom we call God. And when we meet with God, that life flows which satisfies our longing for eternal life. We see this in lots of different ways. In justice, for example, looking at justice. Every human being virtually that we can mention or think of has a desire for justice. And if you don't believe me, treat them unfairly and you see them shout. When it comes to their life particularly, they want, they want people to treat them fairly uh, or, and the ones they love. Justice points to the God of justice who created it in the first place. Love, relationship, wisdom, understanding. Understanding. Wisdom and understanding. We, 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 we long for understanding. We love to grow in wisdom and understanding. And, and our intelligence is not artificial intelligence. We're not just computers. We're not just some kind of moist robot. Our mind really exists. This comes come very, very clearly when we think about artificial intelligence today. Computer chess is right the big thing today in, in IT technology. And uh, way back in 1996, something astonishing and shocking happened. Deep Blue, which was a one of the first of the generations of chess computers, uh, became the first machine to win a chess match against, a chess game against the reigning world chess champion whose name was Garry Kasparov. Uh, and he, he got a bit ticked off as well because he said there was something funny here, the computer is cheating. Well, computers don't cheat. All right. So, uh, this was interesting, and now they've got a whole new generation of these called Season 7, and th these computers now beat all of the, of the grandmasters, and so they're playing against each other. So what is happening when a computer plays chess? Well, it's programmed all the moves and knows all the moves. It's programmed all the moves, and therefore can calculate, can do logical calculations in very, very quickly, far more than, than human beings can do. But does the computer know what it's doing? Does the computer know that it's playing chess? Does it have any understanding at all? No, 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 no understanding. And even the information it contains had to be programmed by people of understanding. And so even our understanding, our mind, points to the existence of a designer God who made us with this ability. Our desire for beauty, our desire for hope, and our desire for relationship with God speaks about the fact that there is a reality out there whose name is God, and this reality is the answer to our deepest longings for justice, our deepest longings for love and relationship, for wisdom, for understanding, for beauty, for hope, and for relationship with God. So my conclusion is this. Jesus is the reason for every season. Not just this season. Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, you're not even supposed to have a dog just for Christmas. Why would you take a God just for Christmas? Jesus is this reality corresponding to every single thing that's happening in our lives. Therefore, he is to be part of all of our lives. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, who was an atheist, became a Christian. When he became a Christian, this is what he said. 
I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but by it I actually see everything else. What's that mean? It means that God makes sense of everything. Doesn't mean to say we have an easy life. And so the dogs trust that used to have the slogan, a dog is for life, not just for Christmas. Remember that? Now they've changed their name for this Christmas. They're calling themselves the Socks Trust. And their slogan, hashtag, give socks, not dogs, for Christmas. Now why? Because last year, 1,256 dogs were abandoned as unwanted Christmas presents. And there are only 20 dogs trust rehoming centers, and, and many of those dogs just have to be left stray. So if a dog is not just for the Christmas season, how much more is Jesus the reason for every season, every season of life, every thought, every moment of every feeling, of every hope, every searching need, every longing desire, all of the deep questions of life and living in infancy, adolescence, in youth, adulthood, right the way through to old age, he is the reason for every season.